This is a Spirited Podcast presentation from Spirited Talk. With your host, Trevor, and carefully selected guests, ready to share their wealth of knowledge and understanding on their specialist area of working with the spirit world. So, grab your notepad and pen. It's time for a Spirited Podcast. Working with Spirit Art, with medium, tutor, and spiritual artist, Lynn Cottrell, Part 1. I am truly fascinated by the various methods available to us to make connection with those in the spirit world. My guest today explains in her teachings that the spirit world like to use our creativity as a tool to connect and communicate with us. In her amazing work, she is able to use her mediumship abilities not just to connect with the loved ones in the spirit world, but to also influence her to create an image containing similarities and features of a person in the spirit world. This method of communication has been used by the spirit world for many years. The most well-known spirit artists of our time are Coral Pauls and Frank Lear. Coral herself was inspired by spirit guides to create and help her with her work. Well, I'm excited to be given the opportunity to explore this incredible gift today with one of the best in the UK at this time. Lynn Cottrell has a challenge with me though, I can't draw. And that is one of the main reasons most mediums fear having a go. By the way, if anyone has not listened to Lynn's episodes on Spirited Talk, where she shares her story and how her art evolved, I highly recommend that you take a listen to that as well as this episode. Well, that said, let's start learning. Welcome to SNU teacher, medium, trans medium and artist Lynn Cottrell. Could you just remind us of how many years you've been involved in your work with Spirit through art and mediumship? Through art, probably 27, 30, 30, 30 odd years, 30 odd years. I think I was about 34 when I started to do the art and I'm 63 now. So it's nearly 30 years. And I know that I know in your story you covered this, but just for this particular episode, uh, which is standing on its own, how did you become involved in using art in your spirit work? I believe that was the spirit world's intention all the way along. I believe they saw within me some potential that they felt they could use and that they took their time to, if you like, hook me, get me interested. So I have already told you the story of what Mm. what what happened at that time. And I'm quite happy to tell it again, if you want me to. But I just think that once I'd had that experience, then the drawing became something which, if you like, was the drive within me. I've always felt that the spirit world look for your potential, look for what you're good at, and then use it to the best of their ability to achieve what they want to achieve. So because my outlook is very creative, because my mind is very creative, because I'm a very creative person, they work through, my mediumship working through me is obviously going to be creative. Around that time, obviously, once you got involved in doing the spirit art yourself, did you find inspiration from uh, looking at people like Coral and Frank? I, I mean, I looked at everybody at that time, but I think the thing you have to remember is mediumship is very personal. Your mediumship is who you are. So although it's lovely to look at other people and see how they do it, You've got to somehow find the confidence to allow the power to work through you in your way rather than looking at how other people do it and copying what they do. And that's how I try to teach it is to say to people, well, you may do it differently from me. You may have a different experience to me. The spirit world can only use what we have in our minds and what capabilities we have. And if, it, if that capability isn't there, they're going to have to take the time to teach us 
And that's what happened with me. They took the time to teach me how to respond to the impulses that they gave me in order to be able to get a picture on the page. And that did take me quite a few years. Briefly outline, Lynn, I know that you use two different methods for your art during your demonstrations. For this first part of this, we're just going to look at the first area first. Do you want to explain that? So I presume when you say that, you're talking about demonstration art, which is art which is done in front of either the public or on a one-on-one basis with somebody in a private private sitting. And that was the first part of my mediumship that developed. Uh, The other part, which we're going to talk about later, is the altered states. And I don't believe they could have come in a different way to me, because I believe only by deepening the first method was I able to achieve the second method. So the more comfortable I became with my mediumship, the more that demonstration mediumship took me to a deeper level while I was doing that then that facilitated the altered states drawing to be able to be done. The first challenge I got is that for an ordinary medium to connect with a spirit, they can connect and they can get some details. I do that all the time when we get some details. But what we're asking you to do or what you're actually doing, not just getting that information through the mediumship, but you're then having to turn to a board and actually create an image that represents that person. Isn't that double the workload for you? That's what some mediums don't understand. It is, it is perhaps could be considered two different jobs. But you've got to think that this, all this information comes on the one vibration. So we're not talking about one power which gives me all the evidence of somebody. So in other words, what they did, how they worked, what, you know, how many children they have, the, the evidential information. And another power that gives me another power that gives me all the information of the face that they're, they're both in the same in the same communication in the same link. So what my mind has to do is my mind has to become aware, not of a small amount of information, but of a large. So I have to be very aware of a large amount of information. And then my mind has to use both types of information. Firstly, the information that gives me the ability to draw the face. And secondly, then, the information that tells me something evidential about that person so that I can then prove their survival. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did that make sense to you? No, absolutely. It still proves my point. And you said it yourself. It's double the workload. And uh, that's going to take an immense amount of training on the brain, I would have thought. The way that it was explained to me in the early days was that it's the spirit world gave me a nice way of understanding it so that I could understand what was happening. However, since we, we, those early days when they gave me their way of understanding, I've understood it slightly differently. And the way that they talk to me about it is it's about where you place your focus. So when you are a normal medium, you either place your focus with your hearing, if you're clairaudient, or your sense of smell or your sense of uh, feeling, you place your, your sensitivity to one of those areas and you develop that. And then as you, as if you like, as your mind opens and becomes more broad in its awareness, then you can take in, oh, he said, or oh, he, or I can smell something. Or you, you sort of move away from focusing on one bit to focusing on all of it. And I think it happens the same way with spirit art. So to start with, You can only place your focus. It takes so much focus and attention to get your face onto the page and try and get it so it's going to be recognized that you haven't got the awareness of the rest of the information. But only as you relax into that drawing and you become more comfortable with what you are 
are doing and you do it more easily, then the mind has the space to open up and to start to feel and know through those other senses what else is there. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely does make sense. When I was talking to you before we started interviewing you, I said that I'm probably going to run this like a Hayes car manual. Uh, in format it's going to be the Hayes manual of spiritual art so do apo- <laughs> I do, do apologize for the way my well, just don't ask come me out. to mend a car well, no, just no. don't ask me to mend a car no but in my Hayes manual of spiritual art I've I've got a question for you here that okay. I'm dying to cool. know the answer how important is the canvas material and what what, what do you use? Pencils, crayons? Well, know? so again, you're asking me about now or through my through my development. My first development was all about pencil. So my, my pencils were normal HB pencils um, and I was just trying to get a face that looked like a human face, if I'm honest. So yeah, HB, normal pencil and a piece of paper. As I became more uh, de- developed or developed enough to, to get onto a platform, I then had to draw a certain size picture so that the people in the audience could see it. So my pictures had to become bigger and they had to uh, go on on a large piece of paper. And at that point, at the beginning, I used to do a coloured surround. I used to do lots of different symbolic patterns and colours all the way around the edge. And I used to place a pencil-drawn face in the middle. And that helped me as well because those little images around the edge of the page, they would give me information about my audience member. So they would give me a little bit about what the spirit world wanted to say to the audience. So in a way, it's a little bit like a comfort blanket for me. I've got a little bit of information already on the page. And so then I would draw in pencil in the middle. As time went on, I started to feel that it was time to draw the pictures in colour. And so I started to use pastels and pastel pencils. So pastels generally come in a short form in a little stubby little piece, but you can't use those if you want the detail in in an eye or the detail around the nose. So I used pastels and pencils, pastel pencils, and the, the importance of the imagery around the edge of the page became less because I became more confident. So therefore I didn't need to rely on it so much. And also, the more work I did, the less time I had to do that preparation beforehand of all those symbols around the edge of the page. So I moved then into coloured drawings. And then as we go on from there, now I use a mixture of pastel and graphite because graphite is very light charcoal and it blends nicely in with the pastels. So just by trial and error, I found what suits me. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to suit everybody else, but I've found what suits me. And the spirit world might change that as time goes on. But for now, for the demonstration purposes, that's the way that we work. Well, I've looked at a few of yours and watched you draw, uh, do a few drawings on there. And uh, once you've done the uh, pastel part and you pick up a pencil, you normally go to the eyes and all of a sudden that image comes to life. The detail Mm. in your eyes, you know, they say the eyes are the opening to the soul. Well, sometimes in your pictures, you can see that the minute you put that white reflection in the eye or... Yeah. shape or whatever it is remarkable lynn you often tell your audience at the very beginning of a demonstration that your art is not photographs now i think i know what that means but explain what you're trying to say in your script you you asked me did i do that in order to lower the expectation of my audience i, I did and when i read that i thought oh that's a bit cheeky I don't do it for that reason. I do it because I want people to understand that I'm drawing somebody who physically isn't here anymore. So the 
picture that I'm going to draw is however that person in the spirit world wants to influence me to draw them. And that drawing can only happen through the ability of my mind. So therefore, there are limitations on what I'm about to produce. So if you are sitting in the audience and you think, well, it really looks like grandma and everything is right about grandma, but she's put long dangly earrings on grandma um, and grandma never wore long dangly earrings. It may be that I've just heard put my earrings on and I've gone bing, 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 put some earrings on, not thought about the relevance of whether they should be long or short because I'm just getting them on the page. And I don't want anyone to dismiss a picture because it's not quite right. I don't want someone to send their grandmother back to the spirit world because maybe I made their hair go this way and it should go slightly down over the face. I, I just feel that there, with, with all art, there has to be some understanding that it's an artistic impression of someone and not a photograph. Well, that, that was exactly why I was asking the question. It wasn't to, 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 for you to lower your expectations. It was more a point of that I think some people might come along to see the great uh, Lynn Cottrell and they're expecting you to draw uh, a photograph representation. And I think that's totally unfair of anybody. What I was uh, thinking you would be saying that for was because it's it's the detail, you know, like we were talking about earlier on, the nose, the ears, the eyes. Yeah. If that one thing is right in the photograph or in the drawing, I beg your pardon, if that one detail is right, that's what should be taken by the member of the audience. So I yeah, thought absolutely. you were saying it to just lower the audience's expectations. Yeah, no, I, th- but I, I think that, that what we have to sort of accept here is that, you know, we do do, I do do some faces um, and I know that I'm drawing a picture. I know that I am copying or in my mind, I'm aware that they, the person in the spirit world is impressing me to draw a picture of them so that when that person receives it, they go home and there on the mantelpiece is the photograph and here is my picture and they've been drawn in the same way, okay? Um, so the face is looking the same way, the hair is the same, she's wearing the same white shirt, she's got the same white hair. So I'm copying a picture. Now, the problem with that is that could be considered psychic art rather than spiritual art. So the importance for me is to say to people, look, this is evidential mediumship. This is not psychic art. So therefore, spirit art is very much about being in the power of the communication and drawing everything that I feel. So in some ways, what comes off that paper at you is just as important as the information that comes from the medium. It's how that picture makes you feel in the moment of the communication. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, don't just look at the image. Take the whole experience on board because it's about lots of things. It's not just about the one thing. Mm. Well, bearing in mind on this next question, we're only talking about your ordinary art. That's yes. really sounds, you know, horrible saying ordinary. It's all brilliant. Well, if you call it but demonstration art, then better, we know what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Thank you for educating me there. That's what this is all about, <laughs> educating. And I certainly need some of that. So listen, at the point that you stand in front of that blank canvas, you're about to start a piece of art. Do you talk to your spirit team? I will have talked to my spirit team way before that. 
So I will have spoken to them when we're preparing for a demonstration. I will have spoken to them when the prayer is being said. There's usually a hymn or a song, and I usually have a conversation during the hymn or the song. Sometimes I see some of the people that I'm going to be drawing in the evening prior to even going on the platform. I just have a, a flash of them or get a little bit of information. Sometimes I even see them during the day walking around with me. <laughs> I remember being at the college one day and we were on German week and I knew that I'd got to do a demonstration in the evening of spirit art. And uh, uh, I could see this lady, lovely, beautiful, elderly lady, absolutely gorgeous in the way that she felt. And I kept hearing this word, craps, craps. And I kept thinking, <gasps> it does, it sounds like a rude word. And it, you know, and, and, it, and the way that the German voice was giving it to me was like, craps, 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 craps. Anyway, I got up on the platform and partway through the demonstration, I could hear this lady saying this. Word. And I said, I've got to say, because I'm really sorry that I'm having to do this. I said, but I've got to say that this lady is using a word which sounds like a rude word to me, but I don't think it is. It might mean something in German. So can I say to you that this lady is telling me about craps? Well, craps is cancer in German. Mm. But I had no idea of that. So she bought that evidence beforehand and then she inspired me to use it during the demonstration. And then she allowed her picture to come on. And of course, of course, that's very evidential then to me as well, because I'm not being funny, but even as a medium, we need the reassurance that we're doing the right thing here. That, you know, you always need something to come from the spirit world that makes you go, oh, oh, how lovely. Because that inspires you to keep going. That inspires you to keep trying to develop your own mediumship and to become better at it. Hayes manual number, uh, page three here from Trevor. <laughs> so when you say you step to this board here and you start seeing the image and feeling that person in the spirit world, how is your uh, your connect or your guides involved in this process? Okay, so firstly, if I'm working with another medium, what tends to happen is I am going to observe, I'm going to find the contact first. So I'm going to say I am about to draw and I will see a flash, a quick flash of lady with grey hair piled on top, about 65, and I might hear a few bits of information. So I give that information to my medium who's working with me, mm -hmm. who then takes that and goes to the spirit world for the right communicator. And I then place my pencil on the board. In Maureen Mernon's case, she doesn't get any information until I start to draw. So as, as I start to draw that lady, she then moves into the power of it. My vision is then gone. And all I do at that point, I don't see the spirit world as I draw I draw and the, the picture evolves onto the paper. But I've got a rough idea of what this person looks like because I've had that initial flash of energy. So I, I, I roughly know, but I start to let the pencil go or the crayon go and I start to see the picture evolve. And very often, if you're watching, the first thing I might do is with a plain skin colored piece of chalk and I'll sort of do a scribble, yes. the, the, the shape of the face. And very often, if you look into that scribble, you can already see the face mm -hmm. starting to impact forward. So I focus on that and let the picture sort of evolve through that. You see, you've you've already there established uh, an important fact for me for my uh, Hayes manual. But you, you've talked about you are describing the person you got to the medium to allow the medium to work. Now, some of the first examples I've seen of uh, art alongside mediumship was entirely the opposite. And that is totally unconvincing to me or members of the audience where you've got a medium saying, I've got a lady with me. She's short. She's got a bun in her hair. And then the artist starts drawing it. Exactly saying, right. It's wrong. Yeah. In fact, 
the rules that we have when we work on platform is that the medium who's working with me should not use any of the descriptive terms that give me clues as to what the face should look like. They should stick with their evidence, their, yeah. you know, what did they do for a living, how many children they got, that sort of thing. I stick to my information, which is what did that person look like? And we try not to cross over in that way. Mm. However, you can't help some crossover mm. because mm. there'll be something, um, you know, let's just use an example. I might be drawing someone and I might hear the word heart attack, but I can't say that because I'm just drawing. When the medium then says, well, this lady's telling me that she had a heart attack, I can go, yes, I agree with that. So there's a communication. And very often, just before the medium says something, I'll either hear it or feel it. So we're both on the same communication link. And this is what I mean about opening the mind enough to be able to focus not only on the picture, but on all of the information, how you're feeling, what's happening in the audience, what's happening in the on the platform, what's happening with the the, the, mm. the other medium. Yeah. The other thing, can I just say one other thing? The other mm. thing that's interesting about the way that I work is if I am very comfortable with the quality of the medium that's working and the, the connection that we have between them, I then don't hear everything they say. I focus my attention on the drawing and I don't know what they're talking about. I'm leaving them to do their job to the best of their ability. And I'm doing my job to the best of the ability. Okay. Yeah, that, that answers my question. My next question was actually about the focus, which you've just answered there. So thank you very much for that. Can I also say mm. that when we demonstrate mediumship at the college, we do it with two people. So I'm doing the drawing and, an, and another, another medium is doing the information. But, but through my development and if I work on my own, I can also draw and give the information at the same time. It just means that the quality of the drawing sometimes is not as good because I'm having to be aware of two yes. pieces, two lots of information. So I can't focus and concentrate quite so much on one side. I have to allow myself to be more aware and to be able to deal with two lots of information. Well, I would imagine if I was doing that and able to do what you're doing, I think I would be talking to you and I'd be really in flow. <laughs> and then I'd turn to the board and I'd be going... And it would become a mutter because I'm concentrating here. I'm focusing on spirit here. Um, so, but you, uh, but you learn over a period of. I mean, look, you know, I'm not sitting here having done five years of this. I'm sitting mm. here having done twenty five years of this. So, the more years of it of experience that you get, and the more things that you learn along that way, the better the mediumship becomes. It's like anything. You know, if you're a footballer, you can show some potential when you're 16 years old, but you've got to work hard. You've got to train. You've got to learn your craft. You've got to learn your skill. And it's only when you learn that skill and you're actually doing it that you really get the experience of mediumship. And I believe that it's a lifetime of development. It's not just about now. I'm hoping that in 10 years time, if I'm still doing this in 10 years time, I'm hoping that you can look back now and say, wow, look where she's gone to. Look what she can do now. Look look where her mediumship and her development has taken her. This Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Yeah, brilliant. You're listening to a podcast from Spirited Talk. This presentation was made possible in part thanks to the financial donations from our contributing partners. To find out how you can become a partner and help with the ongoing costs, visit our support page at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. And Spirited Talk is all one word. Now, 
back to the podcast. This next question has been asked by one of our listeners. This is uh, spiritual medium Paul Hennings in Cumbria has asked this question. How difficult is it for you to omit your own natural tendencies to want to correct a drawing as it's in progress? Um, It's not difficult now, but it was hugely difficult when I was learning. But I learnt by making mistakes, I suppose, through that the pathway that I've been on that changing something that the spirit world want there uh, doesn't help you. For instance, I remember being on platform once in the early days when I um, uh, was drawing somebody and I was, I'd got one eye. I could not get this eye right. Whatever I tried, it seemed to be drooping at the side and, and I couldn't get it right. And I fiddled and fiddled and fiddled with it. And in the end, I said, I can't do anything with this eye. I'm really sorry to the, to the recipient. And she said, oh, it's okay. She said, the lady had odd eyes, one eye, one eye drooped. And I learned from oh, that, wow. that I mustn't, try to make something match. I must try to work with what the spirit world give me. So one of the pieces of advice that the spirit world gave me at the beginning was don't use an eraser. Every mark that we give you, we mean for it to be there. So even if you end up putting a line through the middle of the picture and you think, oh my goodness, well, there's a reason why that's there. Something's going to build around it. There is some reason for that line going there. Don't change it. So only by, honestly, only by practice did that happen. And and when we, uh, earlier on, you mentioned about the double difficulty. You're not only trying to relay a message from the spirit world with your voice, but you're also trying to draw on on a board at the same time. But actually, there's a third dynamic to this that we haven't talked about, that you turn your back to the audience. So you're not able to take any body language in, have an idea where this is going, where it's coming from. That's Um, it's It's rare for me these days to go directly to someone. In the early days, I used to be able to turn around and spot somebody in the audience and know where I was going. It's rare for me to do that these days. I've relaxed into the knowledge that uh, the spirit world will will help me to find my recipient. So it, it doesn't feel like I'm under pressure when I turn around. Very often when I turn around from the board, when I've got the face on the board and I turn around to give the information, there'll be two or three people who can understand the information so far. And then as I work, I can see them retreat and we get till we get to one that I know that I'm working with. Uh, sometimes I've still got two and I have to find which of the two feels right or I have to ask the spirit, well, give me a piece of information that divides us here. But most of the time now, because I'm practiced at it, it's relatively simple. I think it helps me not to be able to see the audience because I'm not being pulled by anybody's power. Because there are a lot of people out there. Please excuse me, listeners. I know that you'll know who they are. But there are people who just want a Lynn Cottrell picture or they just want a picture of grandma. And they don't really care whether you're getting the right information or not. They just they want the picture. So it's really important for me that I give the right picture to the right person, if that makes sense to you. And I get a feeling if we're in the wrong place. So what happens with the spirit world is if I'm still drawing and we're, if, if I'm working with another medium and she's gone to the wrong place, my hands will come off the page. And it's almost like the spirit person in the spirit world is going, ah, 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 no, we're not right. Mm-hmm. And then I say to my, my medium partner, I say, I think we might need to check the picture or, or check the information because I've stopped drawing. And then we reevaluate whether we're in the right place or not. Well, so. it's interesting because while you were answering that question, I was actually looking at you on the camera and thinking, oh, it's all great. I'm fantastic. I'm interviewing a fantastic lady. I would love to see her heart done for me. And it's, it's weird that, that exactly as you said, the audience just want a picture of Grant. I was actually yeah. thinking that that very moment yeah. and thinking, yeah. wow, wouldn't it be great to see a picture of my mum depicted by Lynn? So I understand yeah. that. Yeah, that's why I have to be really clear about what I feel. 
because if I've got two people and they're, you know, I, it's my mum, it's my mum, it's my mum, it's my mum. I've got to get that picture to the right mm. person mm. because I've got to do my duty by the spirit world. Mm. Nobody else, mm. not this person here or this person here in the audience, but my duty by the spirit world. And I give the wrong mum to the wrong person. That doesn't make me mm. feel good. Mm. I want to make sure by the energy of the spirit and how the spirit are making me feel that that picture goes to the right place. And we mentioned earlier on in this conversation uh, how uh, the eyes are usually the windows to the soul. And I as said, I've, I've, I've watched your work and you focus particularly on those eyes when you're drawing to reveal great detail. Is that deliberate by you? Yeah, I think I think it perhaps is. Most people will, um, when they get the picture, will say, you've got my mum's eyes, you've got my mum's eyes. Don't forget, when we communicate with somebody, when we love somebody, what do we do? We look into their eyes. We communicate with them through our, through, through our eyes. And we see their eyes probably more than the rest of their face. Although we will know what the overall look of the face is when we're trying to convey to someone that we love them or when we're trying to talk about something that's intense or if we love them, we're looking into their eyes. So I'm looking for them to give me something in those eyes that somebody's going to recognize. And so, yes, maybe there's a little bit more attention on the eyes than there is anywhere else. I also believe that the eyes tell you a lot So when I'm drawing, the skin around the eyes will tell me what sort of age they are. The color of the skin around the eyes will tell me a little bit about their nationality. If their eyes are looking in a certain direction, so for instance, if I'm drawing my face, I'm drawing a face and these eyes are looking over there, usually my recipient is on that side of the room. If the pupils go this way, usually my recipient's on this side of the room. So it's a a helpful tool for the spirit world as well to be able to bring information through to me, through the eyes, if that makes Mm. sense. They say the eyes are the window of the soul. But I also believe that the eyes speak, I speak to you, don't they? I mean, you know, you can convey a lot of things just through a a look to someone you can convey when you're fed up with something, when you've had enough, when you, you know, when you're tearful or or emotional or, or loving, all of those things are conveyed really through the eyes. And I think that that's what the spirit world use. Mm. I really do. I think they do. But all the features of the face are important. And particularly if that feature is particular to the person. So if somebody's got a really big nose, then very often that nose will be even more accentuated in my mind so that I know that it's really important that I make that nose big because that's a family trait or it's something that that is particular to that person. So the other features have their their uses as well, okay? In one of your demonstrations that I watched, you adjusted the mouth of a man that you were drawn. You explained that the man was not happy with your first attempt and he wanted you to change it. Explain the dynamics at work there. That's quite extraordinary. Well, the contact is always there. So I'm a, I am always aware of the person that I'm drawing. The contact is always present. However, I don't think the contact does the job on their own. I have impulses in my mind that maybe come from the contact or maybe come from my artist in the spirit world who helps me to create the image, who helps and inspires me to do something. And I have a very definite feeling when I've done something wrong. I don't always know what it is I've done wrong. But there's this feeling like, no, it's not right. And I sort of like, I'm hitting a a brick wall. It's a bit like when you've got a piece of information that you know you haven't, when you're a medium and you've got a piece of information, but you know you haven't quite got it right. But you know, you know what you're receiving, but you know that you're not translating it quite correctly. 
It's exactly the same with a piece of art. As that piece of information comes in, you're trying to get the image on the page. And then just very occasionally you think to yourself, no, I've not got it right. I've not got it right. I know I'm not in the right place with this piece of information. So it's just the same. And how do you feel about public demonstrations generally? Do you not think your art would be much better on a one-on-one basis? Well, it depends what you mean by one-on-one. I mean, one, one facilitates the others. When people see me in a demonstration, um, there's only so much you can do in a demonstration because demonstration really is to show the possibilities. And generally speaking, we're not going into anything very deeply in a demonstration. We're bringing some factual evidence. We're bringing some lovely messages, but we're not really working in the, uh, in the power of someone and helping them uh, to get a wonderful message of inspiration from the spirit world. That happens more on a one-on-one basis. Mm. I mean, both have their values. And I would say many of the people who've seen me in demonstrations have then subsequently come for a private reading. I must admit, these days, I do more guidance pictures than I do evidential pictures because very many people nowadays have photographs and memories of the people that they love in the spirit world. And lots of the people that come to the uh, Arthur Finley College are already convinced of spirit. They don't need me to prove Mm. survival to them. So what they'll usually ask me is, can you draw one of my guides? Can you draw someone who's around me in the spirit world that that is helping me with my development so that then I can move forward with my development? Mm. So, you know, sometimes I've got evidential drawings, sometimes I've got spiritual assessment. In my Hayes manual here of detail, what happens to you when you walk away from that painting, picture, drawing, turn to the audience and take time out to listen to the audience member talking to you? How do you keep that connection and those images in your mind? I think, again, that's practice. You know, when you go to the college as a student, even if it's mediumship that you're doing, what you're taught is to make that contact and hold on to the power of that contact. Now, I believe that to do spirit art, you need even more power. I believe there's an awful lot of energy needed to create a picture and to stay in the power of the contact and to then deliver the message. So I always say that I take a busload of energy and a busload of influence with me because I believe it's necessary. But I do think it's practice like everything. I think the more that you work with something, the more that you build that power beforehand, the less likely you are to lose your contact at any point. And I I know that when I'm in the power, it's just a case of switching my focus between the picture, the information that helps me draw the picture, and the information that um, helps me to communicate with somebody in the audience. And both of that information is on the same link just as it is when I do it with someone else. So therefore, it is just a refocusing of the mind and a hanging on to that person, that individual that's giving you the information in the spirit world. But I don't think it's just that person. I think that you've got your contact in the spirit world, but you've also got your spirit team who are facilitating all of this. So they are managing it on the spirit side of life, what is happening. So my guides, my inspirers are the people that build the power, the people that help me with the, the information. All of that's going on at the same time. Yeah, and, and, and there's something I teach uh, some of my students here, the importance of stagecraft, how important, how comfortable you are on the stage, uh, aware of your own presence, how experienced you are, and that must also take a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, absolutely. And like you, like many of your listeners, I have been at the college and learned just about mediumship. I have been on courses where we've done presentation classes and, you know, you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do this and, you, you know, you work in this way. 
and you're working at But most important thing I would say to any of you is go to those classes, listen to those teachers, try all those things and remember why they're telling you to do them because there will be a reason behind why they're telling you to do them. But then go away and find your own way to do it because you do not want to be uh, another Lynn Cottrell or another uh, Simon Key or another Albert Best. You want to be the best medium you can be. So you need to find your way of allowing yourself to be comfortable in that power. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So when you're on the stage, you are bringing the best version of you forward for your audience. Wow, that's interesting you say that because over the years of watching other mediums work, I can usually tell who's been trained by Tony Stockwell. Isn't it funny how yeah. his wording and his look up and all his little features have somehow rubbed off onto the student? And I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm inspired by those guys. I've pinched loads of Tony's lanes for my early demonstrations because I needed them. Because I it's no part problem. of your learning. Mm. It's part of the process of learning. You know, if you go away um, being a mini uh, Tony Stockwell, that's absolutely fine. But what will happen as you get into your power and as you get into your demonstration is slowly but surely you will become you. Hmm. You know, you will drop the mannerisms and the ways of other people and you will become comfortable with your own mediumship and the way that you do it. But you've got to learn somehow. So you've got these people are really important to us. I would have loved to have, uh, years ago, I would have loved to have been a Mavis Patilla because I absolutely adored the way that she delivered her information. And she was a remarkable woman or is a remarkable woman because she's still around. But I wanted to be me. I didn't want to be Mavis Patilla. I wanted to, to have the qualities of Ma- that Mavis brought with the wonderful evidence and, and the wonderful way that she presented herself. But I wanted it to be me that was able to put my, my own personality forward not a mini Mavis, you know. Can you share an example of a story where the recipient has been moved by the impression you created and what it meant to them? Oh, my goodness me. Well, there there must be hundreds of of times. When you're mediumistic, you are involved with the communicator more than you are with your recipient. So very often you don't really know how your recipient is experiencing what's happening. You do if they cry because you you have to be aware of the tears. And very often then you'll acknowledge the tears and and say, yes, I can see that you're upset. Can somebody give this lady a cuddle? But I'm just going to stay out of that. I'm going to stay on the periphery of it. So it is very difficult sometimes to know what impact your mediumship is having on somebody. But there's been lots of occasions where people have brought back pictures and bring the um, the photograph mm. of their of mm. their family member and they put them next to them uh, each other and they go, oh, look at this. You can see, you can see. You know, it's my my. Yeah. And they're just so overwhelmed that it's it's happened to them for them. But I can't think of a particular instance where it's been overwhelmingly uh, emotional or overwhelmingly uh, important. I can tell you one little story that happened when I went to Italy many years ago. I had the opportunity to do some private sittings in a friend's flat in Italy. And it's re- Italy's really funny because there's loads of Italians that want to come for sittings, but they don't want their neighbours to come to know they're coming for sittings. So you have to sort of arrange the sitting so there's 15 minutes in between them so that one person can leave before the next person comes so that nobody sees what's going on because there's still a very strong religious connection there. They're still very steeped in Catholicism. And so, you know, very often they don't want people to know what they're doing. Anyway, this particular weekend, I'd got 14 sittings in the day and we were getting to the end of the day. I think it was the 13th. I'd just finished the 13th sitting. 
and a lady walked in and uh, sat in front of me. And I remember thinking, I don't know that I can do any more of this because I'd got to the stage where I was so much in the power that I really wasn't almost sure who I was, let alone anything else. So, But I think that the spirit world wanted it to be this way because Mm. this particular sitting was very important. All day long, I'd brought through grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and and lots of lovers, because in Italy, most of the women that come want to know what their lover that's passed has has said. So anyway, it's the 14th sitting, uh, late in the day, and this lady sits down in front of me, and I was immediately aware of Russian being spoken. Um, And I said to her, I can hear Russian being spoken, which either means to me that you are or have relatives from Russia or that you have some knowledge of the Russian language? And she said, yes. And I said, and I can see a college or a university. I said, and I feel that you're, you're either teaching or you have some teaching capacity there. Yes, I am a teacher. Uh, I'm a tutor at the University of wherever we were, Venice, and I teach Russian. I teach Russian literature. So that's what she said. So I'm thinking, well, that's a good start, you know. So I start to draw. And as I'm drawing, I'm starting to talk. And there's lots of very strange information coming. So stay with me on this because I only remember this because it was so different. Generally speaking, I don't remember sittings. Five minutes after someone's gone out of the door, I don't remember what said. But because this was so specific, I remember it. And I remember saying to her, I know that I have a brother here. And then I remember, and as I'm drawing, I'm aware of a priest. So I'm starting to draw and I'm aware of priest-like clothes. So I start to draw the clothes and you know, the sort of the thing that goes around his neck and all of that sort of thing. And then I saw an archway and over the top of the archway was what looked like Arabic writing, but it wasn't Arabic writing. So, and and I just knew for some, it was Afrikaans, but I don't know what it looks like, but I just, so I said, I'm in Africa. I said, and I can see an archway and I can see African writing. And she said, yes. And I'm thinking, this is really odd. This is really weird. The way this information is so disjointed, but very particular. So I've got a man who's a priest and I've got Africa. So uh, she's saying yes to all of this. And I said, okay. I said, and then as I was speaking, my hand came up and I said, this man was, and I did this and shot myself in in the head. And I said, he was shot. And it it almost, it came through me. I mean, talk about being in the power of the communicator. I brought my hand up and shot myself and then thought, no. And I put my, the gun at my eye and I said, he was shot through the head, but through the eye. And she said, 100%, absolutely. Oh, so he was an African ministry, an African minister, and he shot himself. Uh, no, he was shot. He was shot in a robbery and all of this evidence came out. Anyway, the long and the short of it, the message from the brother was, you inherited all my money. I'm not happy with the way you're spending it. And I thought, oh, God, how can I say that to her? Anyway, I thought, well, that's what he's saying to me. So that's what I said to her. And she, at this stage, the picture was done. So she took the picture and she saw the picture and she's crying because she recognized the picture. And I said to her, he's telling me that he doesn't want you flying backwards and forwards to Africa. And he wants you to stop and enjoy his money. So what was happening, and I found out later, was that she was trying to find his killer by going backwards and forwards to Africa to try to solve the murder. And he said to me, I have forgiven him. And the woman just dissolved. She just, I mean, I dissolved at that point. She just dissolved. 
He said, I have forgiven him. Stop now and enjoy your life. Now I know that I was only in Italy for that one woman. Mm. Never mind all the others, the others, all the others that I did that day. They were, they were there to facilitate that mm. one woman's communication. And she went out of that room a different person because of what had happened. So that's only one that I can talk, talk about that springs to mind. I'm sure there's loads, but on the spur of the moment, I can't think of any more. I hope that's answered your question in some way. Wow, that is one fantastic story. Okay, listen, we've got a few minutes before we come up to the end of this episode. I want you to look at my Hayes manual and in the back it says examples. So imagine I'm a student and each of your listeners here are students. Now, my ability to draw is very, very poor. But let's assume my ability to connect to the spirit world is pretty good. Where do I start? How do I start? Talk us through an exercise you would perhaps use with your student. Okay. Well, there are many, many, many different exercises that we can use. But because you've already bought up your doodle, I'm going to use that as an, as a, an example. Yeah. And I'm going to say to all of your students that sitting in the power, which they all know what that feels like, with the spirit world, with a pad on your knee and a pencil in your hand, and just allowing the influence to uh, move your pencil around the page. Now, if you are expecting the spirit world to move your pencil, you will be sadly disappointed because the spirit world are not going to move your pencil at this stage. You have to be the one that responds to the, the impulses in the mind and draws the things that you are impressed to draw. But what you don't want to do at this stage is limit yourself to drawing a face. So allow yourself to draw any sort of object or any sort of view or anything at all that you feel that you are impressed to draw. Just let your pencil fiddle away. Don't be critical of it because the minute your criticism comes in, you get in the way of the communication. And also, in a way, you're not criticizing the picture. You're criticizing the spirit world for their ability to influence you. So don't do that. Just allow your pencil to play on the paper and allow your mind to let that happen. So you just draw whatever comes into your mind. And then when you're getting slight feelings of, I know why I'm drawing this, you write a word at the side of the page. So it might be that you're drawing a church. You just take your pencil off the paper, write the word church, and then just go back to letting your pencil move again. And if you're not drawing anything in particular, allow your pencil to rest on the paper and just move slightly. So just keep it moving all the way through through the process until you feel that the energy drops and you stop drawing. It's as simple as that. And that's just the start. So you start like that and then we look at what you've done. We look at how it felt. We look at the influences that took place while you were doing it. And we then investigate how that worked for you. Lynn Cottrell, thank you very, very, very much for the information you've shared in this first part of a two-part special about spirit art. So that's it. I'm looking forward to the second part where the real meat begins. Thank you very much for that today, Lynn. You're very welcome. End of part one. You've been listening to a Spirited Podcast from Spirited Talk. This presentation was made possible in part thanks to the financial donations from our contributing partners. 
To find out how you can become a partner and help with the ongoing costs, visit our support page at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. And Spirited Talk is all one word. This presentation was presented and produced by Trevor Baldwin for Spirited Talk Digital Productions. From today's guest and from Trevor, we thank you for listening. Goodbye.